It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Last week we were talking about receiving by faith. Got over into looking at Abraham, who began as Abram, ended up as Abraham. Now verse 21 reads like this, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Everybody say, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what He, that He is God, He had promised, He was able also to perform. Now, we begin to talk about, as we ended the class last week, we begin to pick up this scripture here in verse 21, where it says, being fully persuaded. Uh, that what God had promised, He was also able to perform. We talked about beginning to live in the promises of God and how the promises of God convince your heart of the reality of what God has already provided for you in Christ. Now let me say that again. The promises of God convince your heart of the reality of what God has already promised us in Christ Jesus. Now, we'll kind of hit this this morning and see how far the Holy Ghost takes us in this. I'm aware... Just because I, I pray over the church, pray over meetings I hold outside the church, and, and my dealings with people in teaching on the subject of faith, I'm aware that a lot of people are trying to believe with their head. They're just trying to think they have something. You know, they're trying to think they have healing. They're trying to think they have a financial breakthrough. They're trying to think you're, you're, you will never convince your head of the reality of something that you cannot contact with your senses. Now let me say that again. You will never convince your head. That's why the Bible says the carnal mind is at enmity with God. You'll never convince your head uh, that, uh, 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 that you have something that you cannot contact with your five senses, but faith is not letting your head dominate you. See, a lot of people... A lot of people allow their thinking to dominate them. Now, I begin to meditate on this uh, a while back uh, and begin to think about this. And I think it's, it's worth mentioning. If we took any person in here right now, no matter what your educational level may be, uh, uh, if we were to be able to classify people in here from the smartest to the dumbest, you know, so you can put yourself wherever you want to in that classification, amen. But let's just say we took the dumbest person in here and we could put them in a time machine and, and transport them all the way back into Jesus' day. Now, the person that's the dumbest person in this class right now would be the smartest person in the world 2,000 years ago. Do you hear what I just said? The person who's the dumbest person here would be the smartest person in the world. In the world. In the world. You have more information, you've been taught more, you've had more uh, intellectual stimulation through education. And listen, and, and the proof of that is all around us. The technology we enjoy, uh, the comfort we enjoy, all of uh, uh, you know, the things that we have that uh, make it easier. You know, I thank God we've got air conditioning. I thank God we've got screens on our windows so the mosquitoes can't get in. I, got, I thank God I can get in a car and drive instead of having to you know, walk or ride a mule or a horse. I thank God for all of those things. But literally man has educated his intellect at the expense of his spirit. 
That's why the Bible says in Romans 10, uh, where is it, 10, uh, uh, 10, 9, 10, and 11, that last verse there, verse 11, for with the heart man believeth. Not with the head, for with the heart man believeth. For with the heart man believeth. For with the heart man believeth. Not with the head man believeth, with the heart man believeth. Now, you say, well, I, I, that, that's hard for me to, to, to separate what is of my heart, what is of my head, what is of my spirit. Well, we know very plainly how to do that out of Hebrews chapter 4 where it says the Word of God. The Word of God is exactly what is necessary to help you differentiate what is in your mind, in your heart, because it is what? It is a, uh, it, it is a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. Amen? And, and then it's also, it helps you know what is of the Spirit. Now, we've said this before. Immediately when your spirit sees something in the Word of God, you don't have to convince your spirit of it. You don't, your, your spirit is automatic. Your spirit, even, a, even a person, listen, even a person that is not born again, if the gospel message can break through their intellect and their heart and get into their spirit, then from their spirit they will believe in their heart and get saved. The problem with a lot of denominational evangelistic preaching is it's psychology-based. You say, what do you mean it's psychology? Well, psycho, the study of the mind, it is based on reaching the minds of people to try to convince a person's mind that they need to get saved. That's why, that's why many times that type of evangelism is so unsuccessful, not in that they can't get people to come down and, and, and go to an altar call, but in retaining those people actually into the body of Christ and making Christians out of them. Because they'll throw up a great intellectual argument, and basically most intellectual arguments when it comes to salvation and faith is based on punishment. Come on. I mean, it's, I mean you know, you're going you're gonna to go to hell. You're going to burn forever. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be nice. You know, forever and ever and ever you're going to be tormented. And, and, you know, you think about that and you compute that and you think, well, I don't want to do that. And so you, you, with head knowledge, you make a decision to either walk an aisle, say a prayer, whatever you do. But, but, but really the Bible says it's the goodness of God that lead men and women to repentance. It's not the declaration of your punishment. Amen? So when it comes to the, the heart being convinced by the Word of God, the mind may be a conduit part of it because all of the information of the Word has to come through the information gates. You have to hear the Word. You have to see the word. What does it say in, in Proverbs 4? Uh, uh, my son, attend to my word. Uh, uh, let it not depart from your uh, 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 ears. How's it go? Yeah, from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. Anyway, whatever it says. Get too many scriptures running in my head. But it talks about literally the information gates, which allow information to come into our mind, that that's, that's where it comes. You can't be, ed you can't be educated in any subject Outside of your information gates. I, I, I wish there was a pill you could take, you know. You take this pill and automatically you have a master's degree and, you know, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. And just like through education, just like through education, how is education uh, uh, applied? How is it presented? Do you know? Through repetition. People sit in a classroom and they hear things over and over. Then information is imparted. It must be assimilated. Then you give it back to the, to the professor or the teacher in the form of a test. Amen? I mean, Breland spends all kinds of times. they got a group of friends that study together, and they go over to the 
sugar bean at Avia and they go over to some other place and they study. They study at our house. They study at all these places. And they spend all this time trying to assimilate what's being taught to them because they know they're going to be, there's going to be a demand on them to give it back. And so what they're doing is they're training their minds. Now, when it comes to spiritual things, notice what it says. He was fully persuaded. If you're standing in faith for anything this morning, whether it be for healing in your body, whether it be for prosperity in your bank or your finances or whatever, whatever it is you're believing God for, you must reckon yourself as being in the persuasion process. Are you with me? That you're in that process right now. Just like if you were to be in an educational process to receive some type of degree because there's always reward at the end of the educational process, you're also rewarded at the end of the persuasion process. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For those that come to Him must believe that He is, and that He is a what? A rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Are you with me? So that process that has begun. Now, this is where you've got to really pay close attention to what's going on. Because if, if, you're, if you're lazy in your, in, your, in your heart, lazy in your mind, you, you'll, you'll just figure all this stuff is just, you know, clumped together in one big clump. But if you'll pay very close attention, you can always tell what is of your mind. You say, how? Because it's always negative. I remember Lee and I were one time, we were spending some time with our uh, uh, former pastor's wife, Mom Goodwin. She was old. She was probably in her pushing 90 at the time. And she looked at us and she says, you know, I still have problems with my wicked mind to this day. She classified after over almost 70 years of ministry and flowing in the Holy Ghost, she still classified her mind as being wicked. I mean, the, the, when the thoughts come, so you always understand when the mind is active. You know when the mind is active is when there's the thoughts. Thoughts are coming. Thoughts are originating. Thoughts are coming. Here come these thoughts. Here come these. So the mind is active. Now, your ability to grow spiritually, to grow up spiritually, and to, and to develop a heart for God can turn your mind off. A lot of people don't rest because they don't know how to turn their mind off. I'm telling you the truth. That's why, you know, so many people have to take sleep medication. And the more issues that you have in life, the harder it is to sleep. But you don't have to do that. The Bible says, I give my beloved rest, and we're accepted in the beloved. David said, I'll lay my head down, and my sleep shall be sweet. Listen, he had a lot of issues going on in his life, but obviously he figured out a way to rest. But I guarantee you, your mind will keep you up at night. And the enemy has a way of stimulating thought processes. And you can always tell because it always challenges the Word. There's always a challenge to the Word of God. That's why you must have this continual, how can I say this? Kind of like I've got a, what's that thing in my car I've got? What do you call it? An iPod. Your heart has to become like an iPod. At any moment, I can push the button on the iPod and the teaching of the Word comes. Your, your heart has to be like that. At any moment, all of a sudden, something has to come from another area other than your mind. And that's from your heart. And it has to begin to feed into the mind what the Word says because you're either overwhelmed by one of two things. You're either overwhelmed by what you're thinking or you're overwhelmed by what the Word says. And whatever you're overwhelmed by, that is what's going to manifest. You know what I mean by overwhelmed? 
Overwhelm means it's getting your attention, it's getting your, it's getting your focus, it's getting, it's getting all your, your, you know, your abilities, it's getting all of that, you're focusing on that, that's what, that, that's what you're, you know, forcing yourself to focus upon, whatever you're overwhelmed by is going to manifest. I remember hearing Pastor Dodie Osteen's testimony about being so overwhelmed by the, by the, you can imagine what that must be like to sit across from a, you know, somebody in a white coat and got the MD badge on them and, the, and, the, and all the instruments of medicine and look across from you and say, you've got six weeks to live, doesn't matter if we treat you or not. You can get overwhelmed by that. But then she said this, she said that was an instantaneous overwhelmment. She said the voice of that in my mind was overwhelming. This huge voice saying, cancer, you're going to die. You're going to die. You've got cancer. You're going to die. And she said when they went and laid on the floor and her and Pastor John prayed, they got up. She said, I knew the fight had begun to become more overwhelmed by what the Word said than what the report was. She said at the end of, the day, at the end of that year in which she fought that battle, she said the word, the word cancer was just a little whisper, a little whisper in her mind, cancer. But out of her heart came this, all these great scriptures. Y'all, most of y'all have read her book. All these great, By his stripes I'm healed. I'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. See, you've got to make a decision to do that. The Word has the power to do that. Only the Word, only the Word of God can convince your heart of that which you do not contact with your senses. Are you with me? It will convince your heart. Now, a lot of people that's taught on the renewing of the mindset, it'll, renew, it'll, 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 it'll empower your mind to do that. You can never empower your mind to con- convince your mind that you have something that you cannot touch with your senses. You say, why? Because your mind was not given to you for that. Let's, let's flip it around. Say, say, say that, that all of a sudden you thought you'd convinced your mind uh, that, that you were able to function mentally without the testimony of your senses. So you blind your, put a blinder over your eyes, you put corks in your ears, and you, you walk out of the church today, you know, kind of, kind of just, well, I'm, I'm walking by faith now. I've convinced I don't need any information uh, from, my, from, my, from my sight, from my hearing, my feeling, my smelling. My t- I don't need any information anymore. My mind is renewed. I'm a, you know, your, your walk will, will probably end out here in the street somewhere when a car runs you down. Because your mind is designed to accept and accumulate information that your senses give you. Now let me say that again. Your mind is designed. Amen? To receive and accumulate and determine, amen, what your senses are telling. If your eyes are telling you a truck's coming, if your ears are telling you a truck's coming, you ought to respond accordingly and step out of the way, amen. So that is the purpose of the mind. So when you throw the mind over into spiritual things, the mind begins to go, now wait a second. You said, I'm healed, I still feel sick. And then we think, oh, that's bad, that's bad. That's not bad. Did you get that? That's not bad. Uh, It says, there's no money in my account. You're right. We've called that the facts, the realities, the facts of life. But then you have been introduced to a greater force than the facts that will enable your spirit and heart working in tandem 
to shut down the mind when it comes to spiritual things. And tell the mind, okay, you still feel sick. That's the fact. But the truth is, by His stripes, I'm healed. Okay, there's no money in the account. I see that with my eyes. But the truth is, my God supplies all of my need according to its riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So the power of the Word of God imparted into the spirit and heart can do what? It can tell the mind, stay in your place. Don't encroach over into my place. Amen? Don't come over into where faith is operating. Are you with me? And if you will do that, let me give you a little illustration about how words work. When we say words, when we speak words, the mind automatically receives it through the, through the, through the, through the ears, and all of a sudden, those words paint pictures where? In our minds. I could say the word dog. How many have a dog? So when I say the word dog, you don't see my dog, you see your dog. It's, it's a picture painted in your mind. Are you with me? And then if I were to add to that, I was to say uh, a big dog. Then, then some of you would see, if you don't have a big dog, you would see a big dog. Your favorite big dog and somebody else's big dog, big dog from next door. I could say a big brown dog. I could say a big brown furry dog. I mean, I could literally take words and what am I doing? I'm painting a picture in your mind. Amen? Now, when it comes to the Word of God, which comes from where? Where does the Word come from? The Word comes from the spirit realm which is unseen. And we've got more evidence of the unseen realm than most people think. People say, well, I tell you, if we can't see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, smell it, even in the sense realm, there's so much evidence of the unseen realm, it's undeniable. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that even nature itself testifies of the glory of God in His creation. Because everything in creation begins with what? Seed time and harvest. And you can take apart every component of a seed, look at it under a microscope, identify it, catalog it, but you can't find the life element. Because the life element of the seed is not in the seen realm. It's in the unseen realm. Corn seed, watermelon seed, cotton seed, rice seed, you name it. There is an element in that piece of grain that is unseen. You say, what is it? It's the life element. They can't find it with a microscope. They can't identify it. It can't be broken down into atoms. There's no way to discover it, but it's there. You say, now how can you say it's there? We see the proof of it. You probably ate the proof of it this morning if you had cereal or bread or, or eggs or milk or anything else. If you didn't eat the box that it came in, then whatever you got was part of seed time and harvest. Amen? So the words that are necessary to convince you of the reality of the unseen realm drop into the heart. For the heart man believeth. It must come through the conduit of the mind, though. And that's where, <laughs> that's where you've got to quit learning to be an editor. That's where most, most people get in trouble because they start editing the Word. Editing the Word. And then people put out a great effort. to It's almost like doing something physical. To try to believe. I'm going to believe the Word of God. I'm going to believe the Word of God. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. 
Now, with your mind, you're going to wear yourself out doing that. Because there are words spoken. I could get up and, 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 and talk about a, a, uh, an invisible person or object and use all kinds of adjectives to paint the picture of it. Tall, short, white, black, Hispanic. I could talk, if, it, if it was an object, it could be square, round, triangle. It could be whatever you, you, you thought it could be. And I could get up here and describe it, and I could do everything I could do. to, to, to It exists. It's here. It, it's a person. It's a thing. Here it is. Name it, whatever it is. I could go on and on and on. You'd still never believe it. You'd never believe, you'd never believe that there's a statue standing right here, kind of square, you know, with, with a, a, made out of marble. Now, I know, I know you can't see it, but it's here, it's here. I could go all day long, and you'd still, you would still say, it ain't there. It ain't there. It's, it is, I don't care what that guy says. He can talk all day long. It's not there. And you'd be right to believe that. You say, why would I be right to believe that? It's not there. And see, that's the way a lot of people are with the teaching of the Word of God. They're trying, they're trying to believe something. Uh, it's, it's there. It's there. It's there. But, but in, in your mind, because you haven't let it drop into your heart, every time, every time you turn around, your mind says it's not there. Because you're basing the information off of your senses instead of basing the information on the Word of God. Now, I can get up here and talk about a person named Jesus that you've never contacted with your senses. Taste, smell, hear, felt, touch. Never. You never have. So I saw him one time. Well, then it was a vision. It was a spiritual event. What didn't happen in your mind. But now I can get up here and I can start with the incarnation of Jesus, we can talk about the 30 years uh, before he got anointed. We can talk about his anointing. We can talk about his three and a half years of ministry. We can talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. We can talk about where he is today. And I guarantee you'll walk out of here more convinced of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ than you do of your own reality. You say, I don't know if I believe that or not. Then why would you, why would you put your life in someone's hands? Especially when it came to eternity. You can't contact with your senses. Now, here's the key. You're persuaded. You're persuaded. And most people don't realize the greatest power of the persuasion process in the Word of God is to persuade you of the reality of a person coming and dying for you so you don't have to. And restoring you back unto God so that if you go through the door of physical death, you don't end up in an eternal separation from God. You end up in heaven. Now, that, listen, that, that, that is the issue of life. Because no matter what uh, uh, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of life on this earth accumulate or cause you to be or become, it's all irrelative in the great scheme of eternity. Are you with me? So God sends His what? He sends His Word. Now, now He began this with Abraham. Now, now, now Abraham, he was probably contacted a little more spectacularly than we are. You say, now what do you mean by that? Well, you know, there were visions of God, open spiritual visions of God, words from God that, that, that had to impress upon his heart 
the reality of what God was saying, and he didn't have the benefit of his spirit being connected to God. He didn't have that benefit. You say, what do you mean by that? He wasn't born again. You, you, have, a great, you have a greater ability to receive from the Word than Abraham ever did. But he still believed. Where did he believe? In his heart. His spirit man was over here what? His spirit man was in his body, was present in his body. How? Dead. It was dead. See so what I mean? It's dead. Separated from God. Dead spirit. Dead spiritually. Actually, when, when Abraham died, God used him to be the door to paradise. Because when Jewish believers uh, die, they believe they go to Abraham's bosom. And Jesus proved that before redemption that that's exactly where they went. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Where did he go? He went into Abraham's bosom. So Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So when he died, by, by law, he had to go down into the heart of the earth. But God said, what I'll do is I'll create in the heart of the earth a paradise. Because I don't want him to go into hell. So I'll create a paradise where those that will die by faith, believing the promise will come one day, I can put them. And the Bible says a great gulf was fixed in between hell and paradise. Are you with me? So that all of those people that died under the law in faith, having not received the promise, which I, you say, what do you mean by that? They just believed someone was coming that's going to pay the bill. And one day Jesus did. And preached to the vanquished soul, souls. Led captivity captive. Did that great work of redemption down there in the heart of the earth. Now, now paradise still exists. Abraham's bosom. You say, where is it? It's in heaven. That's where all those Old Testament saints, they're still in that paradise, and Jesus took them all to heaven. And the Bible says hell was expanded. Hell was enlarged. Now, when you realize that, you realize, now, if the, if the needs of my life are minuscule compared to the greatest need of my life, which was salvation then why am I struggling to receive healing or prosperity or whatever it is you're believing God? Why am I having that process? It's because you're either working on the faith side of the persuasion process or you're working on the unbelief side. Now, notice what it says. Back up one scripture. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, if you were to flip that scripture to the negative, it'd say like this. He staggered at the promise of God because he was in unbelief. He was not strong in faith, and he gave no glory to God. So this is where I wanted to get to today. This, that was my introduction. I'm going to call this the emotion of faith. Now, giving glory to God. Everybody say giving glory to God. Now, hold that right there. Go to, go to chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope or expectancy of the glory of God. And not only so, but we, we, Glory in tribulations. Everybody say we glory in tribulations. Now, real quick, 
uh, James. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying or the proving of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect or perfected or matured and entire, wanting nothing. Now, we use our emotions from time to time to give glory to God, and after we do it, we end up empty. Because we're thinking an emotional response to God is faith. I'm going to shout, I'm going to dance, I'm going to run, I'm going to do this and that. Okay, all right, I'm all for you. You dance, shout, shout, run. But now, does your dance or your shout or your run or your laugh or your cry or whatever you do, after that's all over, where are you in your faith? Where are you in your faith? Now, now, if you're just doing it out of emotion response, if you're, if you're, stimulated by a song or whatever, you say, well, you know, I'm just going to run around the church, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They're, they're, at the end of the day, you've, you've got nothing. Abraham did what? He glorified God. He gloried in his tribulation. James, the pastor of the church in, in Jerusalem, is also an apostle. He said, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Now, here's the reality. Let's just say it's a financial need. You need $10,000. So you're, you're going to do this by faith because there ain't no other way. So you see in the Word of God what you're supposed to do. Faith demands obedience to the Word. Faith begins where the will of God is known. You see in the Word of God, it is the will of God first for you. That's an important point. Always find out what is the will of God for you before you find out what is the will of God for God. It's God's will to heal you. Great, but what's God's will for you? It's God's, will, it's God's will to bless you financially. Okay, that's great. But what's God's will for you? If you study the Scriptures, you will see that it is God's will that you be generous, that you be a giver, that you tithe, that you offer, that you, that you have enough confidence in God's Word that you're able to take part of the income you gather for yourself and give it to Him. Part of it, he says, doesn't even belong to you. Amen? And if for no other reason than law, I'd be a tither. You say, what do you mean no, no other reason than law? I mean, if I did not even think tithing could produce anything in my life, I still wouldn't want to steal from God. It's against the law. Are you with me? And so, so but you make a decision. You, you, you're a tither. You're an offer. So, so you, you get, you know, one scripture. My God shall supply all of my need according to. So you get that. You get it out of the Word. You see it comes into your mind, you meditate on it, you're walking around in your prayer time, Father, I thank you, you supply all of my need according to your riches and glory by Christ. During the day, you may have it writ written, five different translations of that written on a card. Every once in a while, you just pick it out, look at it, put it back in your pocket, pull it out later, look at it, meditate on it, put it back in your pocket. People say, I don't know if I could do that. Well, you could do it with Marlboro's 25 years ago. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you know, you can do it. Just, you know, you've got, you're, you're, you're doing everything you can do to expose yourself to the Word. You've got the logos of God's Word. You've written it down. You're meditating. You're thanking God every day in prayer. Then all of a sudden, that process kicks into gear. 
and the information of the Word of God moves from the head to the heart. Now, when it moves from the head to the heart, it's a what? It becomes a rhema, a living word to you. That's God speaking to you. I'm going to supply every need you have according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now it's time to glory. Now it's not, not now that's when you give God your shout. That's when you give God your praise. That's when you because what you're doing, you're acting, you're acting just like you just received it. You say, why? Because you just received it. Now let me try that again. You're acting like you just received it. You say, why? Because you just received it. You are now fully persuaded of what God has promised and what's fixing to happen. He's going to perform. He's going to take the reality of what He has in the spirit realm, what you have by faith, and He's going to make it the reality of the natural realm. Did you get that? Now, when that, when that happens, you say, well, I've done that and nothing's happened. Then you need to continue to worship God, to praise God, to count it all joy, to glory in tribulation, because then there are other attributes to do that. Both scriptures, both in, in, in James and in, in Romans, talks about patience. Patience. Cheerful endurance with consistency. That means your situation doesn't alter your, your, your commitment, your consecration to God. Amen? <laughs> I was praying with a guy this morning or, or, or encouraging someone this morning with, through a text. and Somebody goes to this church and, and they've missed some services because of dealing with a, a, a family member that's not well. And see, we think, about, we, we, we think you, know, uh, you know, somebody's not well, somebody needs help, somebody this or that. And I got to thinking, I got to meditating and thinking about that. And actually, I was thinking about it last night. I was thinking about it this morning. And I began to remember back in the day, and when I say back in the day, this is back when I was a child in the 60s, about what people would do when they were in trouble. Did you know they'd come to church constantly, wheeled in in a wheelchair, brought in on a stretcher? I mean, and, and you, can, you can ask Alan, he remembers those days. Catherine Kuhlman meetings. I, I read a testimony of a Catherine Kuhlman meeting where they brought an individual in on a stretcher to 15 meetings and nothing happened. And in the 16th meeting, the glory of God hit them and they were totally healed and got up off that cot and were never sick again. Patience is what? Cheerful, endurance. Listen, when you get into a trial of faith, the last thing you want to do is to stay out of church. But that's the opposite of what we have in the church today. There are people sometimes we don't see them for weeks. And then we see them somewhere and we say, well, have you moved off or you found another? Oh, no, we're still going to Island Church. We've just been going through some stuff, Pastor. I'm telling you, we've been going through some stuff. It's been hard. So you've been going through some stuff. It's been hard. But you hadn't come to church in six weeks? No wonder it's so hard. And if you don't have patience, you have anxiety. And anxiety requires attention. Let me say it like this. I don't know if you'll receive it or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
Anxiety requires medication. Did you, did you get that? You say, no, what do you mean? I, I'm not on any prescriptions. I'm not taking this. No, no. People medicate their way self in all kinds of ways. It doesn't have to be pharmaceutical. It could be sitting in front of a TV for hours and just drooling, you know. Because television forces you not to have to think. All you have to do is watch the program. They do all the thinking for you. Amen. It, it could be, you know, a, 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 I don't know if I say this or not. But here's what some people do. They eat. They eat and they eat and they eat and they eat and they eat. They can't come to church, but they got to eat. They're medicating the anxiety. They're trying to do something to get that anxiety to be suppressed. Well, the number one thing that suppresses anxiety is patience. If God expects you to be cheerfully enduring with, 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 uh, with consistency, He's got to supply the ability to do that. And how does He do that? By you exposing yourself to the Word and growing up spiritually. Those fruits are developed in the Spirit. Galatians talks about the fruits of the Spirit. One of the main ones is patience. The fruits of the Spirit. Who gets to eat the fruits? Your heart gets to reach over on the patience tree and pick the fruit. And eat of the patience. The cheerful endurance with consistency. Therefore, it demands that your mind line up with what it's been feeding on. So your mind says, I don't want to. See, that's a will issue. I don't want to go to church. I'm too, I, I have anxiety. I'm going to stay home and eat ice cream today. But no, you're, you're picking off the tree. You're picking off the fruit tree of patience, and you've been eating on patience. You've been eating the fruit of it. It's, it's in your heart, and your heart now is what? Your heart is growing. You're developing a heart for God, and your heart tells your mind, shut up. We're not doing what you want to do. So I will change your will. You don't want to do this, but I'm saying we're going to do it. And your spirit's over there going, glory to God. And your flesh is going, I don't want to. And your mind's going, I don't want to. But see, you've weakened them to where they no longer can challenge your behavior because your behavior is coming from another source. Now, let me say this. Don't get mad at me for saying it. People struggle in faith because the source of their spiritual behavior does not come from their spirit and heart. It comes from their flesh and their mind. Let me say that again. People struggle in faith because the source of the behavior is not their spirit and heart, which is fed by the Word of God. It's their flesh and their mind. And so their flesh and their mind shuts down. I don't want to do that. I don't want to read the Word today. I don't want to meditate on the Word today. I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to go to church on Wednesday night. I'm not going to go to my Tuesday class. I'm not going to do this. And all these I'm not going to do's thinking, and this is where the real deception of the enemy gets there, thinking that what you're not going to do it's going to help the situation? Now, now hold on just a minute. Let, just think about that. I'm not, going to go, I'm not going to read the Word today. I'm not going to meditate on the Word. But you've got this major issue in your life, physical, financial, marital, business, whatever it may be. And so you're thinking, I'm shutting down. I'm, I'm, I'm siding with my flesh. I'm siding with my mind. I'm not going to meditate on the Word. I'm not going to listen to those CDs. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just not going to. Now, what makes you think that your situation is going to be reduced in any part whatsoever? You ain't giving God anything to work with. Amen? And then you've got the accuser of the brethren. He's up there in heaven going, you, you, you know, you said that have what they say. 
Now, they heard, they heard the pastor preach that. And so they're down here saying they're not going to make it. They can't pay the bills. They can't do this. They can't do that. Their mind's thinking that because I'm putting that in their mind constantly. Their flesh is lining up with that because now they're all anxious, have all this anxiety. And your poor little old spirit and heart are over there just starved down to nothing. Kind of shrugging to God saying, amen, we can do. Then what will happen eventually is it will seep through and it will start affecting your heart. Now you're in a mess. Now you're in trouble. Now you're staggering. What does staggering proceed? Falling. And if you study the word staggering, it actually, the, 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 the connotation of it here is a, it's like a drunk staggers. It's like somebody getting under the influence. And see, so you're either under the influence of the problem or the answer of the Word of God. That's why, that's why he writes to us, and oh, I don't know if I have time. Let me, let me give it just a shot. Maybe we'll come back to this part next week. That's why, go back, to, go back to Romans. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I think you need to see this. Go back to Romans 5. Now, in Romans 4, we looked at Abraham. He started out as Abram. He ended up as father of many nations. He did get Isaac. Can I get an amen? So, you know, what can you, what can you say about that? It worked. It worked. How long was the process? 25 years. Are you with me? Now notice. Lord, help me tie this together real quick. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to leave that scripture by itself. It's too much to mess with there. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, do you see that phrase? Access by faith into, not just the word grace by itself. Are you with me? But it's the words, this grace. Meaning, I am talking about the Holy Ghost of the Apostle Paul saying, I'm talking about a specific dimension of grace. What is grace? God's ability working on your behalf. Are you with me? Now, if he says this grace, you've got to go back up into chapter 4 and see the grace that Abraham operated in. You say, what do you mean the grace? There was an ability of God given to Abraham to believe God for 25 years. Because the number one thing that will erode your faith is time. Amen? And time eroding your faith is proof that you're living in a mental realm. Because time erodes everything in the mental realm. Are you with me? So you get over into faith and you begin to do what? You begin to glory in tribulation. What did the Bible say of Abraham? Giving glory to God. He found out this faith thing ain't working for me. I've been, I imagine after God spoke to him uh, uh, there in those uh, plains of whatever it was in, in Genesis 12, I bet after a week he's like, what did God say? What did God say? What's he saying? That's why God continued to communicate to him. 
communicate, communicate his word, communicate through angels, communicate through visions, communicate through, and we got something better than all of that. You say, what's that? You got the Holy Ghost in you. You got the Spirit of God in you. So as that word comes, as that word becomes rhema in you, and you begin to glorify God, thank God for the answer, worship God, magnify God, run, dance, whatever it takes, as you do that, that grace comes into your life. Amen? See, there's a, let me help you. There's a grace on Island Church. You say, what do you mean? We started a building program six years ago into the seventh year. Most churches are like two, three years into a building program. If they don't have a building, the church just shuts down. It just shuts down. People start saying things like, well, the pastor stole all the money or this or that. But we have what? We've got land on an island where it's impossible to buy land, especially in a location that we've got. We've got it. We own it. Proof that grace worked for how many years? took us four years to get there. Now we've got a larger assignment than that, and that's to believe God for around $10 million to build that church. What do you think that's going to take? It's taking time for God to arrange that. He's taking that money all over the world, and he's aiming it at this church. It takes time for God to go into the world system, do that, and release it to us. So we have to have what? We have to have a grace to go through that. So what does the enemy do? He does everything he can do to try to shut down that grace. That's why I'm, that's why I'm teaching on the heart. You say, why? Because a lot of people just don't have a heart for it. They don't have a heart for it. You get up and talk about giving away $600,000 in a year when it's uh, one of the worst financial years you've had in three or four in the past three or four years. You get up and start talking about needing $10 million, and you look around in two services and only see about three, 350 people. You start thinking, hey, these people are crazy. They're out of their mind. You ain't got no grace. You don't have no grace. You're not seeing the bigger picture. You're not seeing that which God is doing. You're, you're only looking at the natural realm. But in the spirit realm, there's a grace that God gives us to contend for what God says is already ours. And that grace comes to us, how? We're right in the middle of everything. It does not look like it's working. But you know that you know that you know. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. The spirit man knows. The, the heart believes. The mouth confesses. The mind is told to shut up, and the flesh is told to line up. That's basically it right there. And you start worshiping God. Oh, thank you, Father, that it's mine. I thank. What do we do after every rush? I celebrate. Let's just lift our hands. Thank God for that. People don't know what that does. That imparts grace. Till the next time we say, thank you, Lord. Some people are sitting back there. I wish you'd quit saying that. I don't see no building. I, I drive by that land every day. All I see is them stupid signs. I'm telling you, it's the dumbest thing I've ever thought. They don't get it. There's no grace. There's no grace. But for every person that from their heart will lift their hands, they gave in those missions offerings. They give in the mission. Whether it's a dollar or a tenth, that doesn't matter. You're a part of it. You're doing it by faith. You're believing God for your, then that grace, every time you lift your hands, it's more than just a saying. It's you saying, Father, I thank you. I'm glorying in this tribulation. I'm magnifying. We're thanking you for this building, Lord. We're thanking you for this building, Lord. We're thanking you for this building, Lord. What are you doing? You're counting it all joy. You're counting it all joy. And then when you receive it, this is, hell, I might not all say it, but maybe I should. You can always tell the grace people from the works people. Because a lot of the works people, they'll take off during the process, but as soon as it's over, they'll come right back. <laughs> I can show you that in the Word. 
I, I can literally show, show you that two, three places in the Word of God. And then when they come back, it's like, look what we've done. But the grace people are like, look what God's done. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. The grace people won't be saying, look what we've done. The grace people will be saying, look what the Lord has done because they reckon it by grace, God's ability working on our behalf. So it's really that simple. You say, if it's that simple, why did it take you so long to say it? Because the repetition of teaching the Word that establishes the reality of the Word in your heart is your greatest strength. For with the heart, man believeth. And if you can believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, you can believe God for anything because righteousness and salvation are above all. They're above buildings. They're above sickness and disease. They're above all those other things that we believe for down here in this realm. You've already believed God for what? Righteousness and salvation through the convincing of the heart and the confessing of the mouth. And it says in Colossians, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. That means everything else you do, this is the way you do it right here. It's really simple. All you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Healing is yours. All you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Prosperity is yours. I believe in your, I'll, I'll bless your business. I believe in your heart. Confess, I'll, I'll heal your marriage. Whatever it is you need. Whatever you need. My realities that my son got me through redemption that you have by faith will become your realities. And when you realize that, then you will press in, and every day will be another great day to fight the fight of faith. Amen? Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Father, we thank you today for the Word of God that comes into our spirit, man, causes the great convincing of the heart to take place, and in the midst of it, we count it all joy. We count it all joy. We count it all joy. And we glory in tribulation. And we glory in tribulation. And we glory in tribulation. Thanking you, Heavenly Father, that the work is done. The healings are ours. The blessings are ours. We thank you for it, Father. We believe we receive in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.